0: Tonight, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, so if you've got a Bible or you can find one close to hand, we'll be in Mark chapter 5. And You can also find this story in Matthew chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in Mark because like last time, he's got a really full account of everything that happens uh, in this story. And so, like I said earlier, our theme this semester is that Jesus heals. And we saw two weeks ago, Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed, who was brought by his friends, who opened the roof, who dropped him down. Jesus healed him and Jesus forgave his sins. So today we've got two very different people both seeking Jesus in this passage in Mark chapter 5. And so um, hopefully you have the, God's word in front of you, but here's God's word from Mark chapter 5. We're doing verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all the time she had and was all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John the brother of James. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing story, this amazing healing that Jesus did, this double healing that we get to see and we get to read about. Lord, would you bless us as we hear more about the story and more about your love for us. Amen. Well, many of you know that right now, if you're out in public, there are certain things you don't do. Obviously, you wear a mask and things like that, but nobody wants to be the one that sneezes, right? Nobody wants to be the one that coughs. Everybody's going to kind of like laugh at you. It's going to be funny. But at the same time, it's like, you know, there's, there's, we do that for a reason, right? Because there's um, COVID going around. And so people naturally, if you sneeze or if you cough in public, they're kind of like going to turn the other way, right? Right. And so that kind of seems silly to us, but there's a good reason behind it, right? We want to stay healthy. We want to help one another to stay healthy. Well, in Jesus' day, they had something that was actually even more important. I mean, important in a certain way in their, in their society, which was what was called purity laws. And what I mean by that is there were certain things that you didn't do. And if you did, other people would actually react. And so, for example, if you touched a dead body, you were considered unclean. Or if you had a flow of blood, you were considered unclean or things like that. And it sounds kind of odd, it sounds kind of silly, but just like the reason why, right, we're, we're staying safe when we're with other people now, there was a really good reason for it. And that was because in the Old Testament, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he set up the temple, and the tabernacle, where he would be with them. His actual presence would dwell. And so because the holy God lived among his people... They couldn't just walk in off the street, right? They needed to actually reverence how holy he was, how great he was. And so they had certain things they had to do or not do. So you had these purity laws, right? And so, for example, if you had done something that made you unclean and you touched somebody else, they'd be considered unclean. And and in order to be clean, you'd have to be cleansed after a certain amount of time. You'd have to go to the temple. And often, if it was bad enough, you'd have to offer a sacrifice. And that's what would happen. So it's helpful to kind of have those ideas in mind because Any Jew in the first century hearing the story is going to be thinking about it through that lens. Just like we see people outdoors right now and think of everything through the lens of COVID, right? they would think through the lens of these purity laws. So with that in mind, right? we, we turn to this story and we have two very different people. Both of them receive healing from Jesus, healing that they desire. And the question is, why? Why does Jesus heal these two people? They're so different as we're going to see. Why does Jesus heal them? And so first, let's look, look more clearly about the, at these two people and see how, how different they are. So the passage starts, and Jesus is crossed again in a boat to the other side of the sea, and a great crowd had gathered around him. Just like last time is a great crowd around Jesus, right? And then in verse 22, we meet the first of our two people. So verse 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet. So we have a guy named Jairus, and it says he's a synagogue leader, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But that means he was a very important person, right? You had the temple in Jerusalem, which everybody went to, but you had gatherings and communities called synagogues. And so he was the president, he was the leader of the local synagogue. So he was very, very important, very well-to-do, he's respected, right? If you have have children, you're going to say, hey, grow up to be like this person, right? This is the person you want them to be like. But he comes and falls in front of Jesus' feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if I can remember ever falling at somebody's feet before. But he does it with very good reason. You see, he's desperate. We see in verse 23 why he's desperate. And he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he, she's, he's desperate because he's powerless because his daughter is dying. And as we see, she's 12 years old. We saw that later in the passage. In other passages that talk about the story, it says she's his only child. And so he's really desperate. He says, my daughter is dying. Go help her. If you touch her, you can heal her. And so he's desperate. So he goes to Jesus. And it's important to note, he's got a kind of a strange phrase here. It talks about being made well and living, right? What's the difference between those two? It's kind of odd. But it's important to note that here in, and then in the rest of this passage, when we see the words be well... When we see the words healing or was healed, that's the same word that we get as save and then where we get our word salvation from, right? It's all the same thing. And so um, in verse 24, Jesus follows him. And so as he's following him, it also says the crowds follow him. And that's where we meet our second person. In verse 25, this is what it says. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay, so we have a woman, she doesn't even have a name, right? We have Jairus, so everybody knows, everybody respects. And then you have this woman who doesn't even have a name. And she's been bleeding for 12 years, which means she's unclean, right? That means she's, she can't go to the temple, right? That means uh, she, people often don't want to be around her because they don't want to touch her because then they would be unclean, right? And so she said 12 years of this. And in contrast, you have the the daughter of Jairus, who's had 12 years and probably 12 really good years, 12 really easy years with prosperity. Well, this woman in the crowd, normally speaking, she should have to call out the fact that she's unclean whenever she's around other people, which makes her isolated. She's isolated from people she loves. She's isolated from a community of worship. And it's actually even worse, as we see in verse 26. And who had suffered much under many physicians And had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So she's got no money. She's got no options. She's tried everything. And so she goes to Jesus. And you see, like Jairus, she is desperate. And she's so desperate that she does this in verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. She's desperate, she's in need. And that's the first thing that actually both Jairus and the woman have in common. They're desperate, they're in need. And when I think about this kind of desperation, a really uh, good passage comes to mind from The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. Um, So one of the characters in it named Jill has just gotten to the, the mythical, the magical land of Narnia. And she sees this river in front of her and she is really desperately thirsty. She is in need. But when she goes to the river, There's a lion at the side of the river, and so she's like, can I drink? Can I not drink? And she's torn because she's so desperate, she's so thirsty. So I just want to read a little bit of this exchange for you. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to to do anything to me if I come, said Jill to the lion. I will make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she'd ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. So, in that passage, Jill is desperate, right? She needs water, she's thirsty, and she has no other options. There are no other streams, right? And we have in this passage Jairus and the woman who are both desperate, they're both powerless, they're both in need, and they say, We have to go to Jesus. They also have something else in common, as we're going to see, which, which kind of comes from this desperation. So we have something else in common. We'll pick it back up in the story, right? Verse 29, after the woman has touched his garments, this is what happens. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So immediately, right? Snap of the fingers, gone. It's amazing, right? It's clearly a miracle. It just all happened at once. And then we have verse 30. Jesus says, Jesus asks who it was, right? He says, who touched my garments? And now it's kind of odd, right? Does Jesus not know who it is? Like, why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus making a scene about it? We're going to see that in just a second. But at that moment, only two people know that there's been healing. You have the woman and you have Jesus. The crowd doesn't know. The disciples don't know. And that's why the disciples say in verse 31, the disciples said to him you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say who touched me right they don't understand everybody's touching him it's a huge crowd but jesus knows what he's talking about and so verse 33 or verse 32 he looks around to see what happens well then in verse 33 the woman comes to him right she comes to him and tells him everything and the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth but it also says she came in fear and trembling right why is she afraid Well, like Jill, right, there's the line there and she's not sure what's going to happen. So there's some fear there, right? But for the woman, we also need to remember this idea about the purity laws, this idea about uncleanness. You see, she'd been isolated from everybody. But because she had gone into this crowd, everyone she had touched was now unclean. Not even everybody she had touched, but Jesus himself would have been unclean. And so she's really fearful. What happens if I say to Jesus, hey, I I touched you and I was unclean, right? She's she's fearful, doesn't know what's going to happen. But look at Jesus' response. Look what he says to her, verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So, a few things about this. First, he calls her daughter. And she's been so starved for community for these 12 years, right? She's, she's been so starved for love and community. And he says, You're a daughter, you're a part of the family, right? He's giving her that thing that she's been missing for so long. Second, what does he say has made her well? He says, your faith, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you, right? Her faith, her faith in Jesus. And it was amazing because the reason why Jesus did this is because she was unclean before everybody. But now, before the crowd, before everyone, he says, she is now clean. She can now re-enter into community and I'm, re-ent- and I'm actually having her in my community as a daughter. It's amazing, right? She's now proclaimed as clean and acceptable, it's amazing to see this thing happen. But then what happens to Jairus, right? He's kind of waiting in the wings. He's watching it happen. But I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking, hey, my daughter is dying, right? I'm thankful that you're healing this woman. But my daughter is dying. Well, things are delayed. And then verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So Jesus has just healed one daughter and restored her to life and community. But this other daughter is dead. And they say, what can Jesus do, right? He can't, nobody, it's death, right? Nobody can raise anybody from the dead. So they say, don't bother him. Don't bother the teacher any further. But look at Jesus' response in the next verse, verse 36. But overhearing what was said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. This word believe is the same root as the word for faith. He's saying, don't fear, have faith, have faith in me. And so, verse thirty-seven, a select few of them set out. And verse thirty-eight, they get to the house. So what happens? Well, they came to the house, and the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. It doesn't really make sense to us, but back in that day, they had back in that day, they had professional mourners. So, if somebody was dead, people would come to your house and mourn. Even the poorest of the poor would have at least two flute players and a wailing woman mourning for them when they died. And so. For the synagogue ruler's daughter, there was a mass of people, all professional mourners. And Jesus questions them, verse 39, and he says, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And verse 40, they laugh at him, right? They know the child is dead. And so he, instead, he puts them all outside of the house. He throws them out, and he goes into the house, which is really important because in that day with the purity laws, if there's a dead body in a house, anyone who enters it is unclean. But Jesus not only enters in, he touches the dead body, which is considered the most unclean of the unclean. He touches the body. So verse 41, this is what happens. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up, and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Again, Jesus touches this girl, and immediately she's restored to life. And he uses words in her own language, words that she would understand, words that would not have been so different from her parents waking her up on a Saturday morning when she's sleeping in, right? It, it's words that are common. He spoke her own language to her. And naturally, all of them are amazed, but what does it go back to? It goes back to verse 36 when Jesus says to Jairus, Do not fear, only believe. Have faith. See, that's the second thing that the woman and Jairus both have in common. Faith. And not just faith in anyone or faith in anything, but faith in Jesus. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's say I had to have open heart surgery and there was only one surgeon in the world who could perform it, right? If somebody says to me, man, going into the hospital saved you, I would say, well, yeah, right? But it was the doctor that did. Yes, I had faith but it was the doctor who performed it, right? And so it's not just faith in anything. These people are desperate. They've exhausted all their options. Their their only faith is in Jesus. And so then we have this odd verse to close it out, verse 43. Verse 43, And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So it's an an odd verse at the end, right? But if you're a first century Jew and you're hearing the story and you hear all the uncleanness, the way you expect it to end is, And then they all went to the temple and they offered sacrifices and they were declared clean by the priests and they all went home. That's what you would expect, right? You would not expect this to happen. They don't go to the temple. They don't offer sacrifices. And then there's like this secret, right? Jesus is like, don't tell anybody what happened, right? Jesus isn't saying, hey, keep your daughter from the world forever. No, everybody's going to find out eventually. But what is he saying, right? Well, see, Jesus had come to do more than just to heal these two individuals, You see, he came to heal and to save everyone like them, everyone who believes in him by faith. And he knows if they tell everybody this girl has been raised from the dead, he's not going to be able to move. There's going to be crowds around him forever, and he's not going to be able to go do what he needs to do. Well, what is it that he needs to do? Well, he needs to save everybody who believes in him by faith. Well, how does he do that? He does it by going to the cross. Because you see, at the cross, he offers the perfect sacrifice for our uncleanness, he offers himself. See, Jesus never was defiled. He was never unholy. He never sinned. So he was the perfect sacrifice. But see, because of our sin, we're unclean. Because of our sin, we're outside of God's presence. We can't enter in. We don't have any hope. We're destined for death. But Jesus takes that death. He takes that uncleanness upon himself, just like he did for the two that we saw in this passage today. And rather than being overcome by it, he overcomes it. He overcomes death itself, and he rises in victory on the third day. And what we see in this chapter in Mark 5 is that Jesus heals by faith so we can have the courage to trust. Jesus heals by faith so we can have the courage to trust. You see, both of these people were in desperate need, but they had faith in Jesus and both of them were healed. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Maybe like Jairus, you're the person who's well-connected, the model citizen, you're comfortable, and yet you find yourself still in need and still in desperate need. Or maybe... You're like the woman. You don't have any status. You don't feel like you have community. You feel powerless. You feel in pain, right? But nothing is too big for Jesus, not even death itself, as we saw. But I also want us to see that nothing is too small for Jesus, too. Because when he restores the woman, he also restores her community. He calls her a daughter. He's not just healing her, but completely restoring her. And then when he raises the little girl from the dead at the very end, he gives her something to eat, right? Everybody is amazed that she's living and she's, you know, arisen from the dead. And he says, hey, she needs some food, right? He cares not only for the big things, but also for the very, very small things. Jesus cares and Jesus heals. So where are you today? Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you feel like you're holding something back. Maybe some anxiety, some pain, some hidden sins, some hidden uncleanness. Jesus heals. Maybe you haven't fully believed in Jesus, right? Maybe you don't know what it's all about. Maybe you've been around church for a while, but you're desperate, right? Like these two, all your options feel exhausted and things are just getting worse. Jesus heals. Or maybe you're not sure where you are, right? It's really easy in today's day and age to distract ourselves from our need. There's so many things, right? In this passage, you have the crowd who's crowding around Jesus. You also have the mourners at the house that's saying this, this, Girl is dead, they're just distracting from what Jesus has come to do. And I know what it's like. It's really easy to distract ourselves, to try to not see our need, right? What we do is we try to stay up as late as possible, to look at a screen as late as possible so that we can go, go to sleep and not have to think about all our anxieties and all our worries. We try to do that, right? But it doesn't make them any better, it doesn't make them go away, it doesn't work. But we try to distract ourselves from our need. We also we look at the story and we have courage to trust Jesus, right? We have courage to trust Jesus with our pain and we trust him. We trust him by bringing these things into the light, but the temptation is there not to do that. Just like the messenger says in verse 35, right? Why bother the teacher any further? That's the temptation that we all feel. Why bother people with this? Why, why bother, right? But look at Jesus's words. Don't fear, only believe. Don't fear, only believe. You see, Jesus wants to hear from you, to hear your prayer no matter what. He longs to call you a son and daughter. He longs for you to be a part of his kingdom, to restore you. He also puts other people in our lives to help, that we can go to them, seek wisdom from them. Christians that are older than us, people we love and respect, often parents or people at church, that we can talk to about these things. We can find help. We can get answers. One of the things that this reminds me of, the Christian life, is um, Amy and I don't often agree on what to watch, so often it's hard for us to choose what to do, but there's one show that we both enjoy watching, and it's called The Repair Shop. And it's about this shop in the UK that restores really old things, right? People will take in there like a piece of pottery that's broken in five different pieces, or it's broken in five different pieces and glued pretty badly back together again. And they will take it, and they will restore it, and they will make it look like new. And it's amazing, right? But in order to do that, they have to take it completely apart, take off all the bad repairs, and then put it together with the right things. And the Christian life is like that, right? It's not always easy. It often hurts. It often hurts to bring things to Jesus. But you see, to be healed, to be restored, all we need is faith in him. And God is the God who's putting his people back together again. Jesus heals. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this testimony from your word of the amazing healing that Jesus did for Jairus and his daughter and for this woman. Uh, Lord, would you help us to see that it was only by faith, only by faith because Christ worked this miracle. Lord, would you help us to see clearly that Christ cares for us, not only in the big things, but also in the small things. Would you bless now our time in small groups and be with us in our week this week too. Amen.